0: Lucas on Life. Well, hello and a huge welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. And three days ago here in America, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day, which happened last Thursday, is the annual national holiday in the United States and Canada, celebrating the harvest and other blessings of the past year. Americans believe that their Thanksgiving is based on the harvest feast that was shared by the English colonists, the pilgrims of Plymouth, and the Wapanoag people. It happened in 1621. The American holiday is particularly rich in legend and symbolism, and the traditional meal of the Thanksgiving day is typically turkey, bread stuffing, potatoes, cranberries, and pumpkin pie, which personally I'm not that crazy about. In terms of travel, Thanksgiving is often the busiest time of the year as family members gather to celebrate together. I love Thanksgiving because you don't have to buy gifts and experience the pressures of Christmas shopping. It's simply a time to gather and be thankful. Perhaps with all that's going on at the moment in the UK and around the world, being thankful is rather hard for us to do. We hear the biblical call to make thanksgiving a daily part of our lives, but let's face it, it can be tough. Psalm 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So, tonight we're going to ponder reasons to be thankful to God. And also, I'd like to introduce you to two rather beautiful people who taught me a lot about being thankful when life is continually challenging. Thankfulness, tonight on Lucas on Life, here on Premier Christian Radio. We're thinking about being thankful. Just why should we do that? Well, first of all, as we heard from Psalm 100, We celebrate the faithfulness of God as the Advent season actually begins today and we move towards the Christmas period. We celebrate the truth that, as the angels said, a savior is born, a rescuer has come for us. And then we're thankful for the little things in life. I'm one of those people who gets a little bit panicked when I go out for a meal with Christians. Are these the kind of people who want to say grace in the restaurant, even sing a hymn? G.K. Chesterton said, You say grace before meals. I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in ink. In other words, Chesterton is teaching us to be thankful for the ordinary things in life. More about that later. We also give thanks when the circumstances of our lives are challenging. Ephesians 5.20 says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we thank God for the evil that's in the world, but rather that in our difficult circumstances, we learn to be thankful. Let's face it, sometimes that's a tough journey. But for our own mental health, that's a journey worth taking. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So there's prayer there and thanksgiving there. And then the very next verse promises us, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Being thankful It's what God calls us to, and it's really good for us. We're thinking about being thankful. Some Christians give the impression that the Christian life is like living in Disneyland. They apparently skip from one breathless roller coaster experience of God to another. The Lord seems to be very, very busily engaged in almost constant conversation with them. They enjoy a broadband prayer life and epic miracles accompany there every waking hour, or so it seems. To be blunt, I don't find the life of faith to be like this. God is wonderful, and my life has been punctuated with more than my fair share of wonders. But many of my days fade into grey and should be filed under the heading of nothing much happened. On those kind of days, it's more challenging to be thankful. But I think we should look on those lacklustre, ordinary days with renewed appreciation and thankfulness. I remember visiting Banda Aceh, Indonesia, the city that suffered the greatest losses from the Boxing Day earthquake and tsunami that followed back in 2004. On that day, something extraordinary happened to the sea, which bunched itself into a wave that delivered a knockout punch to the town. Over 200,000 people perished in that pummeling, including the inhabitants of a coastal fishing village that literally disappeared in seconds. Tired fishermen pointed their boats back towards port and home that night, unaware that a monster wave had crept beneath their bows while they fussed over their nets. To their horror, there was no port, no homes to sleep in, and no wives and children to greet them. All were gone. One morning during the visit, I sipped coffee with Wahul, a delightful smiling man who told me that I looked almost young from the neck down, which I think was a compliment. Wahul had lost both his children to that wicked wave. His wife's entire family had been wiped out. And then I chatted with giggling Nuralia, a delightful 15-year-old whose home back then was still the temporary barracks that were hastily thrown up in the wake of that terrible day. Both of her parents perished, and just seconds after telling me that, she burst into singing, in perfect English, the Abba classic, I Have a Dream, with its line about believing in angels. I'm sure she does, but I wondered for a moment how she did. I met so many whose lives had been smashed to smithereens by that ominously dark historic day. Mass graves abounded, anonymous resting places for thousands, and many were never found, swallowed up by the ravenous beast that was the sea. All of which makes a restoration of relative normality a delight to behold. I visited a children's centre, a hive of bustling ordinariness. Kindergarten children giggled on the swings and computer skills classes were held in one room, embroidery in another. And then in a larger hall, a children's choir practiced their performance for an upcoming concert. It was all very ordinary and very wonderful with it. And then there was the day where we attended a football match, a culmination of a two-week tournament. There was a young Jack Grealish wannabe given a red card and sent off for fouling, and then getting a bit lippy with the ref. We cheered ourselves hoarse as the grinning captain held the moulded plastic trophy aloft, which was almost as big as him. The goalkeeper was the hero's saviour, and so was thrown up into the air in celebration. I wiped a tear away as I watched ordinary kids enjoying another ordinary day, free from fear, for a moment at least, of a monster wave able to dream about bending it like Beckham, to laugh and argue and pull faces and have melting ice cream running down their chins, able to do what kids do best, living extravagantly and thankfully for the moment. These people don't want a life that looks like a disaster movie but where the special effects are real. They just like to laugh and cry and wake and sleep and love and die like everybody else. Perhaps some of us suffer from the disease that can afflict those who know for sure where their next meal is coming from. Boredom. The ordinary looks dull, and we're certainly not thankful for it. But we should be grateful for those days of quiet predictability where nothing much happens, including nothing much that is bad. Somehow, the ordinary can start to look rather magnificent. Let's be thankful for it. Their broad, beautiful smiles should belong to two young teenagers who are grateful for a secure, loving family life, where laughter and hope have been their daily bread. They giggle easily and seem utterly devoted to each other as brother and sister. But their story is more about tears. I bumped into Sejan and Dawit, they're 17 and 12 respectively, in Ethiopia their brief journey through life had been shrouded by difficulty, two little people alone in a big, intimidating world. Sajent and Darwit live in a dark, tiny one-room shanty, its bare brown walls enclosing just one bed, which they share. Sajent has been the primary carer ever since their mother died five years ago from the AIDS virus. Sajent took the reins of the home when she was just 12, The worries and weight of adulthood fell upon her far too soon. Their days are helped by the presence of a Christian-run community centre that provides education and basic health care and an occasional lifeline visit from a social worker, but their nights are not so easy. Sometimes they have to bolt the rickety door and hide under the bed, fearful of the rowdy drunks who cavort just outside, wondering if they're coming in uninvited. I asked Sejent what her dreams were. If she could have anything fairy godmother style, what would her request be? I actually wondered for a moment if the word dream would translate into Amharic. It must be difficult to ponder possibilities when every day is the same numbing uphill grind. But globalization means that Sejent and Darwit are very aware of the world beyond Africa. So would her teenage heart long for an iPhone, a boyfriend, or more likely, a one-way ticket out of a country where 60% of the population still exists on just a few pence a day. She flashed that dazzling grin again. I'd like to live the Christian life well as a good example for my brother, she said. Both wanted to take career paths that would make life better for their peers. I stared into their bright, shining eyes. This was no rehearsed script to impress the Westerner. This was no hand held out for a cash reward, a few quid for a good answer. They both meant every word. When we left, we prayed together and we gave them gifts. They bowed their heads with embarrassment and I fought back the tears which would not have helped them. I felt like kneeling before these kids to humble myself before their lovely, thankful hearts. This was my first visit to Africa, and I was taken aback by the extravagant, unexplainable joy that I found there. In some nations, the poverty is gut-wrenching, the AIDS pandemic devastating, the ravages of drought and war have left a country that looks like a post-nuclear attack landscape. But many of the people are just beautiful, and it's way beyond skin deep. I'd been prepared a little for their loveliness at a conference I'd attended back in England. We'd played pass the parcel, and so us Europeans had lingered for a second or two over that wrapped bar of chocolate, hoping to make it our own, a competitive spirit over a 70-pence item. An African guest finally won the prize and surprised us all with his delighted exclamation. Look what we've won, he said. We tried to explain to him that he'd won it. He didn't get it, and unwrapped the silver foil with delight, passing the squares around. Back in Ethiopia, we wandered into a tiny home where a family of six had adopted the boy next door who'd been orphaned by AIDS. Their meager resources were already stretched to the limit, so why add to the burden? Of course, lest I paint Ethiopia as a utopia, we also know that it's a continent that has been beset by corruption, violence, and tribal hatred. Sin is certainly international. And yet I cannot deny that I've bumped into people who have little to live on and yet really know how to live, thankfully. Sajan and Darwit face some mountainous struggles ahead. They're at the bottom of the economic pile, disadvantaged and marginalized. But whatever we do, let's not call them poor. With our trivial, technology-obsessed and relatively dysfunctional culture, I think that we are the ones who are really poor, in spirit at least. Let's learn to be thankful, even when life is tough. May the Lord help us this week. I'll see you next Sunday. Lucas on Life.